Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, thank you guys for gathering in your homes. What a crazy week it has been, as Pastor Joe said earlier, of uh, snow and ice and school cancellations and working from home, I'm sure. If you're a parent, we have been praying specifically for your sanity this week as you have had the kids at home. No, I'm kidding. We've been praying for all of you in the body. Uh, but to state the obvious, um, I'm preaching to an empty room right now, so this is a little unique. Uh, however, as Pastor Joe said, I'm grateful for the gift of technology that we can still, um, through um, online streaming, gather together in our homes. We have our physical Bibles. Uh, what a gift that is. And we can still worship um, the living God this morning because the Spirit of God is not bound to a building. So I'm grateful for that. And I know it's easy. We learned through COVID. It's easy to get distracted um, with having your phones at home and coffee and donuts and all the things. And so I would encourage you to, for the next 45 minutes, to press in and focus uh, as we study the Word together. Um, and if I don't know you, my name's Ryan. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And we're going to take a little bit of a detour from our emotion series that Pastor Will has been walking through. But actually, the more I thought about it, it's actually not as much of a detour as I thought originally when I picked this passage on Tuesday. Um, we're going to look at John chapter 17, which is an infinitely rich and deep passage, and we could pull a lot of different topics from it, but we're going to focus on the inner life of the Trinity. And there are, um, if you're new to the Bible, the doctrine of the Trinity um, is essentially how Christians understand that God has revealed himself to be in his nature. Um, that he is one God, three eternal, distinct persons. And so he has revealed himself that way over thousands of years through the story of Israel. There are hints of the Trinity in passages like Exodus 23 and Isaiah 63, so you can look those up later. So there are hints that God has three persons within himself, but then fully, as the Son of God comes into the world, he teaches us about who the Father is and about who the Spirit uh, is and who the Son is. And so fully through Jesus, we have the fullest revelation of who God is. And so as we look at Jesus' prayer here, we're going to see the very heart of God, that he is an, an, he is an infinitely happy and joyful um, God, and we get a glimpse of his heart in eternity. So we'll talk about what that means for our lives. So if you have your Bibles, I would love for you to flip them open to John chapter 17. And hey, we're going to treat this like a normal Sunday morning. I would encourage you to, to stand for the word of God, even in your homes. Uh, we're not going to read the whole passage. We're going to read the first five verses and the last seven verses of this passage. So this is John chapter 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I have with you before the world existed. Skip down to verse 20. 
I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, these in the room know you, that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. And this is God's holy, inspired, infallible word. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much that you, um, through your son Jesus, and through the power of your spirit, have fully revealed who you are to the world that we don't have to rely on speculation, but that we have revelation from you. And Father, as we gather in our homes this morning, we pray for those in our body who are hurting. Uh, We pray for Pastor Will as he is grieving with his family. Um, But man, do we have a hope uh, in the gospel? Do we have a hope that we are (laughs) reading what Jesus said here, that, that one day all who are in Christ will be with him in the glory and the love and the joy that you have had uh, with each other for all of eternity. And we, through the gospel, are invited into that love. And so, Father, I pray that as we talk about who you are, um, that you would guard my mouth from error. Um, I don't want to fall into a category of thinking that we fully understand and comprehend you, because how could we? You are the creator of all things, and there's nothing like you in creation But I also don't want to fall in the other trap of thinking that we can't know anything about you because you have revealed what you're like and who you are uh, fully through your son. So help us this morning. Send your spirit. Help us to discern the things of God uh, because nobody can understand the heart of God except through the spirit of God. Thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So... um, We're going to look at this passage through three main points. Um, Again, we could have endless points through this passage, but these are the three things we're going to look at. Number one, the eternal glory of God. Number two, the eternal love displayed. And number three, the eternal love given. Now, for context of this passage, the Apostle John, who was an eyewitness of Jesus, he saw him live, he saw him die, he saw him rise, he was discipled by him personally for three years, an original one of the twelve. He is giving us, perhaps, I would argue, the greatest prayer in the Bible because it's the only prayer we have recorded of God the Son praying intimately to God the Father. Now, of course, we have the Lord's Prayer in the early part of the Gospels, but that is Jesus teaching his disciples how to pray. This is different and unique because this is Jesus praying with his disciples in the room directly to his Father. And so uh, this is sort of the climax in John 17 of the events all happening from John 13 to 17, all before Jesus is crucified 
uh, the night before. Um, He just got done in chapter 16 actually giving his most extensive teaching about God the Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. Um, And so he revealed in chapter 16 that God the Spirit, the person of the Spirit, has always been glorifying the Son, has always been glorifying Jesus. Um, and all three, of the, all three persons of the Trinity have always been glorifying each other for all of eternity. So at risk of you already being confused, uh, I'm going to ask you to press deeper with me today, and let's think about the deep things of God together because it's good for our souls. Um, surely, if you're sitting at home, you have asked the question before, what was happening in eternity? What was God doing all that time before he created everything, before the foundation of the world? And if you haven't asked that, I'm sure your eight-year-old child or your nephew or niece has asked that question. What was God doing all that time? And you probably answered in some way like, I mean, I don't know, being God. He was just doing his thing. Um, But praise God, we actually have a better answer than that revealed in Scripture. And it's interesting, when I talk to people who aren't Christians, especially young people, Um, And I asked them, what do you think Christianity is ultimately about? I was just talking last week with a guy over coffee who wasn't a Christian, and I asked him this question. And it's interesting. You get a a variety of different answers. The more conservative kind of person uh, might say, well, it's about doing what God says and obeying his will. And then the more liberal kind of person might say, well, it's about doing good deeds and loving your neighbor and living like Jesus. And, hey, I want to do all of those things. Those are not bad things. I want us to obey God, and I want us to love people like Jesus, but neither of those really scratch the surface of what the heart of Christianity is. If you want to understand the heart of Christianity, we first have to understand who God is. What is he like? And he has revealed himself to be, he is one God, he's one being, he's super clear about that, he is one God and the only God, but that within God, there are three distinct eternal persons. Now, when I say persons, uh, don't think like a human. Um, Think personhood as in God is not a force. He's not an energy, right? God has thoughts. God has a will. God has a mind. He has emotions. He speaks and communicates, right? He's not just a force. He's personal, And so God has revealed that he has always had three distinct persons within himself who each have a mind and thoughts and emotions and who um, are in relationship with each other. They communicate with each other, and they've been doing that for eternity. Now, this is a very different understanding of God than other religions, especially Eastern religions, who do view God as a force. They don't view God as a personal being. So the idea that you could have a personal relationship with him is foreign. They don't understand that. They think God is more like an energy, which actually, by the way, is not unlike modern atheists who believe in the Big Bang. Uh, that's, they believe that basically a force or an energy started everything. They don't believe in a personal being. So it's not unlike that. And then more Western religions like Judaism and Islam do believe in a personal God. They do believe he has emotions and has a personality uh, and has attributes, but they believe he is just unipersonal, meaning he is just one person by himself. And that's significantly different because 
if God is just one person, if he is just unipersonal, then in order to love someone, he would have had to create someone, right? Because love exists between persons. Relationship exists between persons. So in order to love someone, he would have had out of necessity to create someone. So that is distinctly different. So here's a thumbnail definition uh, that I, I really liked from Dr. James White, and then we'll jump into what Jesus says about the Trinity. Here's a thumbnail definition of the Trinity for those who are new. Dr. James White uh, says, The Trinity is the one and only God, eternal, immutable, meaning he's unchanging, his nature cannot change. There are three differentiated eternal persons within God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, who are each fully and equally God. All right, simple enough. Everybody got it? Everybody, everybody fully understand it? Um, no, but I do think that's important with that background in mind before we see what Jesus says. And real quick, I, I said this a little bit in the prayer. I think just like when we went through Ecclesiastes, we talked about the two ditches you can go into, right? The two extremes. At least from my conversations with people, I think there's two extremes about the Trinity that you can fall into. One is God is too high above us that we really can't understand anything about him which is not true because he has revealed himself. And then the other extreme is we can understand everything about him, which is also not true because if God is the, the eternal creator, um, he can't be like anything in his creation, right? His creation cannot be like uh, who he is because he created all things. So we can't see anything in creation like exactly the Trinity. So there, that is true. We can't fully understand God and we're not today pretending we can, um, we will spend eternity full, trying to fully comprehend his beauty and grace. Um, but I, I did want to set up those extremes because I do think the other extreme is true too. People often just say, well, we can't understand anything, which is not true. So let's look at what Jesus reveals about the inner life of the Trinity. Verse 1, when he had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. We'll come back to that in point two. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him, and this is eternal life, this is what eternity is about, that they know you intimately, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, Father. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I have with you before anything existed. Okay, so what key phrases do you notice right off the bat that he uses? Glorify your son. This is eternal life, knowing you. Glorify me, Father, with the glory I have with you before the world existed. Jesus is describing the eternal glory within the Trinity. He's asking the Father to glorify him so that the Son may glorify the Father. And in the chapter before, like we said in chapter 16, he says that the Holy Spirit glorifies the Son, glorifies Jesus. So we're getting this glimpse into eternity, which is that all three persons have always been glorifying each other. They've always been honoring each other. They are equally God 
but all glorifying each other. Let's focus on the word glorify for a second, okay? Sometimes we don't define this. What does it mean to glorify someone? To glorify means to praise or honor or to adore, to ascribe weight. That word glory means weight, to ascribe weight to them in a position of honor. Another way to think about it is that person's joy, what that person enjoys, actually becomes your joy. Okay, so that's another way to think about it. Honoring this person, making this person joyful, what they enjoy becomes your joy. Why? Because serving them and pleasing them simply for their joy becomes what you enjoy. That's another way of thinking about that word glorify. Think about if you're married. When your love for your spouse is in its purest form, you say things like, what do you need? What can I do for you? How can I give you joy? And you offer it to them freely, right? Not to get anything back from them, but because giving them joy gives you joy. Now, of course, in a sinful and fallen world and being sinners ourselves, we hardly ever, maybe never, actually fully experience that kind of joy in human relationships because we have sinful hearts and we have sinful motives and we're selfish and we're always looking to our own interests and not to the interests of others more than we know. But that really is the purest form of joy, is love freely given to an another in order to honor them and glorify them and serve them. And Jesus says to the Father, glorify me, why? So that I can glorify you, Father. They reciprocate doing the other's will, not their own, because that's what they've always done. Jesus did not just start doing the Father's will when he came to this earth. He has always sought the Father's will, not his own will, even in eternity. Now, Jesus puts this even more clearly in verse 5. Look at it. He says, Glorify me, Father, in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So Jesus is asking for glory back that he had with his Father. If he's doing that, that means he lost glory. Like if he's saying, Father, I want the glory back that we had before the foundation of the world, that means he lost glory, right? Where do we see that in the Bible? Philippians 2, verse 6 and 7. Who though Jesus was in the form of God, that's a participle, being in the form of God, he was continuously God, but he did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped or held onto, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Jesus emptied himself of his heavenly glory in coming to this earth. He gave up glory by humbling himself, becoming a man. Now, important distinction, doctrinal distinction here. He didn't give up his deity, okay? It says, who, though he was in the form of God, he stayed God. He has always been God and always will be the Son of God. He did not give up his deity, but he did give up his heavenly glory, right? He humbled himself um, in becoming a man, becoming a servant. Isaiah 53 says about the future Messiah that he would have no beauty or majesty that we should desire him. So that means Jesus really wasn't that attractive to look at as a man because of him humbling himself. 
He lost beauty. He lost heavenly glory. And he lost glory in other ways, too. It's not just beauty. But the point is, Jesus, the Son, humbled himself and became a servant. And he's asking the Father in this prayer, after accomplishing the work that you gave me to do, to die on the cross for sinners, glorify me in your presence once again, in the glory that we had before the foundation of the world. He wants all of the eternal love and joy and peace and beauty that he had with the Father through the Spirit for all of eternity again before he became incarnate. Because who wouldn't want that back? So here is teaching point one. The eternal glory of the triune God means that before anything was created, before the foundation of the world, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit... We're seeking the glory of one another, honoring one another, loving one another, serving one another, freely giving themselves to one another for the other's joy to degrees that we could never even imagine. That's what that means. The triune God is an infinitely happy God. How often do you hear God described that way? He is joyful. Nobody is more joyful than God. No other God, no other religion can say their God is infinitely joyful or infinitely loving. Why? Because love is between persons. Joy is between persons. Life is between persons. Only the triune God can have all of those things. It's absolutely amazing. So what are some implications? Because I know you might be thinking, okay, that's kind of like up in the clouds, heady. I can't really grasp all that. All right, well, let's bring it on the ground. Let's, let's talk about what this means. If God is triune, there, here are three implications of what that means for us. Number one, infinite love and joy relationship preceded creation. Infinite love and joy relationship preceded creation. Number two, God didn't create everything out of necessity. He didn't have to create everything, but he did because he wanted to, out of a desire to share his love and glory with his creatures. And then number three, this might be the craziest one. Servanthood is at the heart of God. Servanthood is at the heart of God. So the first implication, God being triune is a joyful God. Before he created anything, before there were any creatures or creation, he was joyful. There was joy and love between persons. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Will mentioned um, six things that make up the image of God in humanity. And we're not going to go through all six of those, but this is why... Um, All of us as humans crave relationship. This is why we crave community and relationship with others, because of the Trinity. Um, That's why we can all critically think and have minds and have a conscience and have a will, because of the Trinity. That's why we feel emotions in a different way than animals do, because we are made in God's image. We have the image of God in us, we crave real relational community. What do you think social media is? Social media is a lot of things now, but the original purpose 
was so introverted humans could connect with each other, right? That was the purpose and design for social media. Introverted humans in their house could connect with other introverted humans in their house. They crave relationship, even though they don't like to be around people. They crave relationship. The reason we have media to communicate messages, right, is because we, as humans, the desire to communicate is embedded in each of us. The three persons of the Trinity have always communicated with each other. So, if you're new with us this morning, or uh, you're not a Christian listening, I want you to know you and I were designed and made for God's glory. You were made for relationship, first and foremost with God, the triune God, but then also with other image bearers of God. You were made for relationship. You're not an animal like the world says you are. We were made for the glory of God, to honor him, to love him, to enjoy him, to be in fellowship with him, to have him at the center of your life, to have him in a position of glory. Why? Because you're made in his image. The, the reason you and I can't stop glorifying things in our lives, there's no such thing as a human not glorifying something. I don't care if you're the staunchest skeptic in the world, you will always glorify something or someone. Why? Because of this. The three persons of the Trinity have always been glorifying each other. It's in you. It's in the nature, uh, in the image of God in you. So you will glorify something. You will ascribe weight to something in your life or someone. And if you don't believe me, then why do you get crushed with despair because the career you've been working towards all your life doesn't go the way you want or goes away? Because you've been glorifying it. You've been ascribing weight to it. You've been letting it define your joy. You've been putting it in a position of honor. And you've been putting it in a place, in the place of your creator who you were made to glorify. Or for Christians who are listening, why do you care more about the romantic relationship in your life instead of caring about the sinful habit that you've been ignoring? Because you're glorifying the wrong thing. You're putting that romantic relationship in a position of ultimate glory that should not be there. Sin always stems from misplaced affections. Before you ever sin with your hands there is a misplaced affection in your heart. The second implication we see is that we said, since God has been eternally happy and joyful, it changes the purpose, how we understand the purpose of why he created everything, because he was perfectly happy. He didn't have to create everything. He was eternally joyful and in relationship within himself. But because he wanted to share that glory and joy with his creatures, um, he created everything to share his glory. The famous Reformed theologian uh, Jonathan Edwards wrote a book on the subject called uh, The End for Which God Created the World, or The Purpose for Which God Created the World. And I don't recommend it at all. It's so hard to read. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You can read it. But he basically works out multiple reasons from the Bible for why God created everything. And one of the big reasons he concludes is that since God is tripersonal, 
Since God is infinitely happy and joyful, he did not have to create everything. But he wanted to, out of a desire to share that eternal glory and joy with his creatures. And that's exactly what Jesus says in verse 24. Look, Father, I desire that they also, in the room, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am, to what? See my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. He says, I want them to see my glory and the glory you've given me. I want them to share in this love and joy that you and I have, Father. And then the third implication we said, servanthood is at the heart of God. How crazy is this? Because each person of the Trinity has a heart to glorify the other and not themselves, to seek the other's joy and happiness by freely giving themselves to each other, that shows the heart of what life is all about. Servanthood. Serving the needs and the joy and, the, and pleasing the other and not your own. Giving yourself to others to love them and serve them and honor them. This is why Jesus says elsewhere in the Bible, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's not just a tagline. That's not just a bumper sticker. That is at the heart of eternity. That's at the heart of the Trinity. It's why he said whoever would lose his life will find it. It's why he said you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. Those aren't just taglines. When you give yourself in service to God's glory and to others, that is at the heart of eternity. That is at the heart of reality, my friends. Jesus is trying to show you and I what eternity was like. Perfect love, perfect service to others, perfect joy serving the needs of others. Now, I want you to contrast for a second all that we've just said um, with the current cultural moment that we're in. The post-enlightenment uh, secular culture that says life is all about you. It's about elevating your dreams, elevating your status, your fame, your autonomy, you, 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 whatever you want. And the reason that kind of thinking and worldview ultimately leads to death and eternal death is because it is totally against the nature of God. It is totally against the heart of who God is. Totally against the heart of eternity. Sin is not, I don't know what you've ever been told about sin, but sin is not just breaking God's law. It is that, it's not less than that, but it's more than that. The essence of sin is exchanging the glory of God for the glory of self. It's not just about breaking rules. It's not just about breaking God's law. God's law reveals his nature, reveals his character, reveals what he's like. Sin goes against God's very character in his love, in his goodness, in his joy, in his righteousness, in his beauty, in his nature. That's what sin is. I just, want to, I just want these statements to sit on us because I really don't think we think about this enough. There is nobody more beautiful than God. There is no artist greater than God. There is no musician more creative than God. 
There is nobody more loving than God. There is nobody more just than God. There is nobody more wise or knowledgeable than God. There is nobody more happy than God. And in our sin, all of us, me included, we have all exchanged all of his glory and said, no, thank you. I want to be my own God. I want to serve myself. I want to be absorbed with myself. And we all do that every single day. That is the eternal glory of God. Second thing we learned from this passage, yeah, that was all under one point. Y'all thought you were getting a break from 75 points from Pastor Will. Uh, But no, the second and third points will be quicker. So the second point that we learned from this passage is the eternal love displayed. So notice Jesus said back in verse 1, the hour has come to glorify your son. And if you're a student of the Gospel of John, Jesus repeats that phrase a lot. He says his hour uh, has come or not come several times in the book. And every single time he's referring to his hour, he's talking about his death on the cross. And so at the beginning of the book of John, he would say, my hour has not yet come, my hour has not yet come. Well, in chapter 12, before the final Passover of his life, before he dies, he finally says the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. But something you can miss in verse 1 here, if you don't look carefully, is Jesus doesn't say, okay, glorify me, Father, meaning after I die and I raise from the dead, then glorify me, Father, which of course, when he rises from the dead, he did show his glory. But you would think it would be after the humiliation of the cross that he would be glorified, that he would consider to be glorious. But he doesn't say that. He says, my hour has come, glorify me now. As in, glorify me in the cross. In this brutal humiliation and suffering and pain that I'm about to endure on behalf of sinners so I can accomplish the work you gave me to do, Father. Glorify me now so I can glorify you. Dr. Don Carson, who wrote probably the best commentary on John, said said this about verse 1. He says, Jesus is saying, glorify me now when I'm lifted up and beaten and repulsed and, I'm give, and I've given up everything, I've lost everything. That will be the ultimate expression of the glory of God. But what could be glorious about the perfect son of God being brutally crucified and punished? Um, Isaiah 53 says he was marred beyond human semblance. He was looking like less than a human. He was so crucified. Well, here's how he can be glorified in the cross. Because there's nothing more glorious than giving up your glory for someone else. There's nothing more beautiful than giving up your beauty to make someone else beautiful. There's no greater love than giving up the love that you were receiving for all of eternity to make someone else lovely. Do you see that? It's exactly what he's been saying all along. When Jesus went to the cross to die for you and me and give his life for people that don't deserve it, and there's certainly some mystery in this, but to some degree we are seeing the eternal love that's been at the heart of God for all of eternity. He's giving up himself to the extreme degree. We're seeing the Son of God freely give his life to someone else, which has really been happening for all of eternity. Do you see that? 
This is what giving up your glory looks like. This is what love looks like, freely giving yourself to somebody else. And I think this sheds light on what Jesus means in verse 22 when he says, The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, Father. So through the cross, as Jesus displays the eternal love, he is showing us that he and the Father, he is showing us to some degree what he and the Father have had for all of eternity. He is giving us a demonstration of the heart of God, the deep things of God, the deep things of eternity. That true eternal love is giving up yourself, losing your glory for someone else's. It's amazing. That's the eternal love displayed. And the third point we see is the eternal love given. So because of the eternal love between the Father and the Son through the Spirit displayed on the cross, this is the ridiculous truth, and I mean that in a good way, the ridiculous truth of the gospel. And please, if you've checked out, you have to hear me here. He says this in verse 20, verses 22 and 23. Listen to this. The glory that you have given me, Father, I have given to them, that they, that they may be one, even as we are one, I and them and you and me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Even as that because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, because of his great love with which he loved us, we are invited into the fellowship of the Trinity, the dance of the Trinity. By putting your faith in Jesus and what he did for you, God the Father loves you even as he loves Jesus. <laughs> it's crazy. In the gospel, he freely gives you his righteousness, his love, his mercy, his grace given to you freely. That's the gospel. Those of us who are in Christ, we will spend now and all of eternity trying to comprehend the riches of this eternal love. Because this kind of love is unfathomable. And yes, that's a word. Think of how much, for a second, the Father loves the Son and vice versa. Like, whatever human relationship you think is awesome, whatever, like, celebrity marriage you think is amazing, this is times a million, okay? Whatever love relationship you've ever imagined, this is the eternal Father loving the eternal Son through the eternal Spirit. That is how much the Father loves the Son. And Jesus says, the Father has loved us in the gospel, in Jesus, even as he loves Christ. That me, in all my sin, all my rebellion, all my idolatry, all the sin and hurt and pain that I've caused, is completely forgiven in Jesus Christ. All the times that I have exchanged God's glory for the lesser glorious things in this world, all the times that I have pretended like the lesser pleasures of this world could ever give me more pleasure and joy than God himself 
What an idiot I am. I mean, seriously. Like all the times that I have exchanged his glory for the glory of lesser things, and Jesus came to give me their eternal love, to show me my rebellion against him and the Father, to show me how much I have trashed his glory. I think, that, I think the cross demonstrates that. I think it displays that. This crucifixion, this brutal death, this is how horrible it is to trash the glory of God because it is that valuable and worth and, and weight, weighty. This is what you deserve because of how you have belittled the glory of God so much. But in the cross, you see the justice and righteousness of God being satisfied in the death of Jesus. And at the very same time, you see the eternal love that Jesus displays for the Father and for us. That he wants us to know him. He wants us to enjoy him. He wants us to experience the glory and joy that he and the Father have had forever. This is the eternal love given to us. C.S. Lewis said in his book, The Weight of Glory, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition, where infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. In our sin, we are making mud pies instead of enjoying the deep things of God. So the cross of Jesus Christ displays the glory of God. It shows his heart. And this kind of love is so unnatural to us. This is why Paul says the cross is so folly to the world. This is why Jesus' kingdom is upside down. He says the least of us will be the greatest. Those who serve the least of these will be the greatest in the kingdom. And the humble and the meek will inherit the earth, not the proud. None of us can naturally believe this kind of love because we are so blind to it. We are so blind to the beauty and glory of God. We need supernatural revelation from his spirit. We need God the spirit to show us his glory. We need him, we need him to enlighten the eyes of our hearts. And look at what Jesus says in verse 20. This is, this, what he prays here in verse 20 has been happening for the last 2,000 years now. I do not ask for these only, these in the room, my, my 12 disciples. I'm not asking just for these guys, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may be all one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us that they would experience this eternal love. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. He's praying for the people who would believe in him through the apostles' words that we're reading right now, the Bible. Is that, is that you in the, in, at, your, at your house? Is that you? That those who would believe in him and receive his eternal love given in the gospel, that they would be so united in this truth, in this love, that the world would look and say, what is that? What is that? 
I've never seen a group of people so loving and gracious and standing for truth and united in mission and love. What is that? I want that. Christianity is not a philosophy. It's not a moral system. It is a supernatural religion. Somebody becomes a Christian because they hear the words of Jesus, they hear the gospel, they hear about the cross, they hear that God the Father sent God the Son into this world to die for their sin, and then God the Spirit changes their heart, changes their mind, makes them completely new, shows you how wretched your sin is against him, but then gives you new eyes to see his glory, new ears to hear his word, and to see the glory of Jesus. That's what you and I were made for. That's what you've been trying to find out in this world. That's what I've been trying to find out in this world that can never truly satisfy me. I was made and you were made for the glory of God. It was made to be, he was made to be your highest treasure. This is why King David in Psalm 1611 says, talking to God, you make known to me the path of life In your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's why Jesus says in this prayer, in verse 3, this is eternal life. This is what eternity is about. That they know you intimately, Father. That's an intimacy word. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is what eternal life is, enjoying God forever. So as we start to close here, here are some questions for our hearts because we've really worked our minds today. We've thought a lot about the Trinity. We've thought a lot about um, how God could be one God but three distinct persons so our minds might be a little tired, but these truths about God need to go to our hearts. So here are some questions for us to consider today. First, am I having communion with the Trinity? Through prayer, through studying the word, through fellowship with other believers, am I experiencing the love of the Father through the grace of the Son and the comfort of the Spirit? Secondly, if not, why? What in my heart in life is preventing me from experiencing him in those ways? And then lastly, is the glory of God more valuable to me than my own glory? And I want to end today by looking, at, uh, looking forward, okay? We've looked a lot at the past of what, what has been accomplished to look forward at what I think Jesus wants us to look forward to today. And if you're at home and you're experiencing, um, like Pastor Tyler said earlier, uh, loss of a loved one, pain and suffering, Jesus wants us to look at what he's done for us, that, that he is our highest treasure, but he also wants to look forward to this eternal glory one day. He says in verse 24, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. What is this future glory going to look like? To be honest, I don't know. (laughs) I really don't. 
Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.9, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So whatever this future glory that, that we're going to see one day when Jesus returns is going to look like, where all things are made new, we will be resurrected with new bodies to look like Jesus. No sin, no death, no tears, whatever that's going to look like, I know this glory of God will captivate our hearts and our minds and our affections for all of eternity. That's what I know. I don't know what it's going to look like exactly, but I know it is going to be ever-increasing joy, perfect love, perfect peace, because this is what we were made for. This is the heart of God. And this is what the Christian has to look forward to. This is what we were made for. So let me pray for us. Father, um, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much that we don't have to rely on religious speculation or philosophy to try to understand what we were made for, to try to understand our purpose in life, to try to understand what we're to do in our lives, what we're to make our lives about, what we're, what we're to glorify. We, we talked about that word today, to what are we supposed to honor in our lives? What are we supposed to ascribe weight to in our lives? Well, all we have to do is look at who you are and who you've revealed yourself to be, that each person of the Trinity have been glorifying each other, have been serving and loving and being joyful in one another for all of eternity. And that that's what we were made for. We were made to experience that glory. And in our sin, we have turned from that. And we have rebelled against you. We have rebelled against your nature. But praise God that in the gospel, in the good news of what Jesus just revealed to us, that through the cross, through his eternal love displayed, he has loved us even as the Father loves the Son. I mean, we will spend eternity trying to comprehend that. That you would freely give yourself so that sinners can be reconciled to you, to love you and enjoy you forever. And I pray that in this response time, in the questions that we wrestle with in our hearts after, God, that your spirit would reveal the places in our lives where we are putting, uh, where we are glorifying things that that we should not be glorifying, that we should be having you in the center of. I pray that you would reveal that to us and help us to have more joy in you. Lord, we love you and we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Well, welcome, Mission Church. Um, my name is Stephen, and this is... This is Joe. Hey, good morning. Uh, it's so good to have you with us. Um, doing things a little different today. That's right. Uh, mm -hmm. Normalize that, a little different. Uh, everybody's at, at home, and so uh, we are so glad that you're joining with us today. Uh, Katie is moderating, uh, and so if you have any questions or you just kind of want to know something, uh, reach out to Katie, and she will uh, get in touch with you and talk to you through um, the chat. There is a QR code somewhere over here, and so if you need anything, whether it's prayer, uh, maybe you just want to uh, connect with the church or, or find a church to connect to if you're not in our area, please uh, click that QR code and uh, or scan it, and, and it'll take you to the pages that will help you. Um, and, and we can attach 
uh, or we can connect with you and, and, and go that route. So welcome. Good morning. What a great lesson, Joe. Great lesson. Yeah. Ryan just uh, nailed it, man. It was yeah. so good to hear about the Trinity and uh, what glory means and all the things oh, that are yeah, yeah, wrapped yeah. up in that. So uh, why don't we do this? Why don't I start by re- rereading the, the passage we covered, and then we can get into some discussion. Yeah. Uh, so John 17, 1 through 5, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Sheesh. Okay. (laughs) Now we'll pick up in verse 20. I do not ask for these, meaning the disciples only, but also for those, us, who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. Wow. Yeah. So much in there. Uh, So, Stephen, did God teach you anything new today? I think I know the short answer to that, but did this new truth confront, convict, challenge, or comfort you? Man, um, I guess out of those, I guess it would be comfort, like uh, the way Ryan, you know, talked about um, the glory and the the the, the eternity yeah. that God shared before the foundation of the world with the Son and the Spirit. Uh, uh, like that was super comforting. Like yeah. um, a, just a different way, a different way of thinking about it, a different perspective that maybe I hadn't really thought about in that way. Mm-hmm. So it was really good to to hear that and and to think, wow, that that's really different for me. I yeah. hadn't thought of it that way before. So what about you? Yeah. Uh, the same. I, what really comforts me is that Jesus is talking to the father on our behalf to, uh, graft us into yeah. this glory yeah. of spending eternity with him. Right. That is so crazy to me. And, and Jesus is also saying that God loves us so much that he even gave us his son. Yeah. And so the love is not just the display it's not just the the sacrifice displayed by Jesus, but there's the love of the Father that's on display too for even giving us that, right? right? Yeah. Um, so that really comforts me. What convicts me or challenges me is the fact that I serve other gods so easily. <laughs> I yeah. worship creation instead of the creator. Right. And, and 
when we talk about being in glory, um, being one, I think my mind goes astray so many times. Yeah. And, um, and that's the thing that really convicts me. Yeah. Yeah. So, Stephen, how does God being a trinity change how we understand God, how we understand ourselves and how we understand the world? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so for me, understanding like the Trinity is kind of the point of understanding God. Like if you don't understand the the relationship, the personhood of God and that that glory existed before the foundation of the world, that his joy yeah. and his love existed their love existed before the foundation of the world, then it's really hard to understand God. Then yeah. then what we do is we we make God something that he's not. He's a judgmental tyrant who's just waiting for us to mess up so he can flick us off the, you know. That's that, right. That's how a lot of people think about God. Yeah. I've thought about God that way mm-hmm. and, and still have to remind myself that's not who God is. And then that translates to ourselves because then we become like that. Yeah. And we become judgmental, and, and then we begin to push those things on God. Well, God's judgmental because I'm judgmental, right? Yeah. And we do that um, uh, with ourselves, and then we do that with the world. And so it just it you know makes it worse all the way down the line when we do not understand that God is a God of joy, and that He is a God of love. And I love that He didn't He didn't need to create us. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need anything from us. Yeah. Right. That's right. You know, God doesn't need me to follow his his commandments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he doesn't need that. Right, right. He, he doesn't need anything from us. But he created us. One of the reasons he created us was that he wanted to commune with us. He yeah. wanted to share in that glory that they had before the foundation of the world. That's right. And that, like, really was was apparent when, when Ryan was teaching. Like, I was like, man, that's so good. We forget that so often. Yeah. And so it's a great reminder to have that taught to us. No doubt, no doubt. So in Jesus' unique prayer in the passage, what are some things that he prayed for that stood out to you? Um, So we talked about this off camera, but I love, and I I quote this text a lot uh, when I'm talking about God, because he says that eternity or eternal life is knowing God and knowing whom he sent, Jesus Christ, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so to me, it really it reminds me again, reading this passage, that it's not a book of rules. That's right. It's not about me, mm-hmm. right? This is God's way of communicating His love for us, His joy for us, and that He needs our, He wants our communion, right? That's yeah. why we're created. He wants our communion. Yeah. And that's kind of the point, right? Eternity. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say eternity is following a bunch of rules, He doesn't say eternity is. Uh, knowing all the right things, right? Mm-hmm. He says eternity is knowing God and knowing his son. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I think that the thing that stands out in Jesus' prayer for me is this aspect of that he's praying to the Father <clears throat> for unity. Yeah. For unity of those who um, believe. Mm-hmm. And um, that is, we were talking about this earlier too, the world we live in is so disunified. Yeah. And why is that? Because our preferences and our, um, you know, all of the stubbornness and the lines in the sand we draw and the receipts that we keep, right? <laughs> um, these happen even in Christian circles, right? Yeah, sure. I mean, we fight the flesh every, yeah. every day, yeah. every moment, really. Yeah. And the fact that Jesus is praying um, that 
these, uh, these meaning the disciples, and also for those, meaning us, who believe in me through their word, that they will be one. Be unified. Be yeah. unified in glory. Yeah. Right? And so that's the thing that really stood out to me uh, awesome. in that passage. Well, Joe, um, that kind of leads into our next question. Have you ever thought about how servanthood is in the very heart of God? How does this change how we view the purpose of our lives? Yeah, yeah. Well, Ryan pointed out, like, Jesus asked for glorification through the process of punishment and death. Mm. Glorification through that process. Why? Because love means servanthood. Yeah. It means sacrifice. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, that that's how I I just think about servanthood is at the very heart of God and sacrifices all over the story of God. Yeah. You know, sending a son to come to sacrifice on our behalf. Right. Right. And so what kind of lives do we live? What do our marriages look like? Yeah. What is our relationship with our kids and our coworkers? And, um, you know, to me, it's um, servanthood is at the very should be at the, our very heart right. because it's at the very heart of God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it kind of leads into the next question too, which was these three in, in, implications of the eternal story or mm-hmm. the eternity that, that God's talking about. And so, you know, that question was um, how often do we hear God being described as joyful and happy by Christians and should it be more why or why not and that was one of the things that I really liked that Ryan brought out was that one of the implications of the eternity story the eternity uh, eternal glory that he's talking about in this text is that love and joy preceded us being created the foundation of the world like God had love and joy with mm-hmm. the son and with the spirit mm-hmm. and and we forget that and so you know, what's really cool is um, knowing that, knowing that he doesn't need us, knowing that love and joy, it means that the sacrifice was even more so because Christ was willing to give up that That's love right. and joy, that communion. To take it off. And God was willing to separate himself from the Son, which yeah. had never happened before right. in eternity. And so it means more to me now when I think about God had love and joy Man. and he gave it up. So that we could have love and joy. Yeah. Right? Um, and that's just that's mind-boggling to me. I mean, as as people, we, we wouldn't do that. No. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Right? I'm not going to get off my warm couch and right. sacrifice for somebody. Right? Right. I mean, that's our default position. Yeah. Um, but sometimes, you, I mean, you, you have to do that. Yeah. You know? And, and we're called to do that. It's such an important aspect of God to, to dwell upon because most of the time, we look at God as, you know, just the, the ruler with folded arms up in heaven, yeah, just, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. showing, just shaking his head in disapproval of right. how messed up we are. Right. So this idea of a joyful and, and uh, you know, happy God, ple- God who's pleased, is kind of foreign to us. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, uh, Stephen, how amazing is Jesus' description of the gospel in verses 20 through... 22 through 23. Yeah, you, you just read this, and I think the words that all that just jump out at me are even as, um, that that God loved us even as he loved Christ. Like, mm-hmm. I, that just blows me away. Crazy. It's like that text, you know, but God, you know, all this uh-huh. bad stuff, all the bad news, but God, you know, and all the good news. And so that's kind of what it reminds me of. Um, but even as that that he just didn't, he, he wasn't doing it just for Christ. 
he wasn't loving Christ and, and you know, wanted that love for Christ, but he loves us as well. Yeah. Even as Christ. Like, that just blows me away. Uh, truly. Because when I think about the Trinity, I think... <clears throat> The, the Trinity is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit from the beginning of time yeah. before the creation of the world and the universe and everything. And, and there's perfect harmony and unity and glorification all the way around. And to think that we could be grafted into that. That we'd have any, any stake in that whatsoever. It's so crazy yeah. to me. Yeah. And so, man, that's, that's good news. When I read that, I just think, yeah. wow, <laughs> this is way better than I thought. Right. You know? Yeah. So... Wow. Amazing time, man. Yeah, yeah. It was. It was a good. Uh, it was a little strange being in the room with nobody there. Yeah. But uh, but we missed all of everybody, and and you know we are looking forward to the next time we come together um, as the church and get to worship God and get to hear another lesson. Uh, Ryan did such a great job. So um, we just wanted to say we love you guys, and we're praying for all the the hardships that are happening right now. Those that have lost loved ones. Uh, as well as those who are dealing with electricity issues and no water and all the things that are that are happening this week. Um, we are praying for you. Uh, we love you. If you need us, please reach out to us, and we will see you guys next week. Yep. Bye. Bye. <laughs>